Good morning. <laughs> hey, I hear people the first time. That's awesome. Awesome. We're going to get started here, so we're going to call y'all in, finish those biscuits and gravy real quick. We need you to come in here. We've got some important things to let you know about. We're going to have a board update this morning, so we want to make sure everybody's in here. So come on in. I'm going to give you just a minute. Did you guys have a good week? Yes? Yay, Frank had a good week. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. It was warm. That is helpful in construction for sure. I agree. Is it snowing out yet? Has it started snowing a little bit? Okay, well, that's good. So we'll be, we'll be uh, careful on our way home. We're excited. Did you guys bring stuff for the potluck today? Oh, I'm excited about the potluck. Yay, Julie's excited too. <laughs> awesome. Well, come on in, guys. We've got announcements to, to give you. We, we don't want you to miss it. So calling all people of WLC into the sanctuary. And um, then I'm going to have Jane come up here, and she's going to give us an update from the board. So, Jane, you want to come on up? And... Um, we will enjoy. Yay, Jane! <laughs> I was a college cheerleader, actually. <laughs> I don't think the outfit would fit anymore. We've got an exciting two weeks ahead of us. Um, our new interim pastor will be showing up at the end of this next this week. Um, Thursday or Friday, and uh, we've been working really hard. The women's Bible study has um, gone over and cleaned, and we've been um, furnishing the parsonage, and it looks lovely, and we thank everybody who was involved in that. It's a lot of work, and it's been a lot of fun. So um, we're pretty much ready for them, and um, what happens um, they will come, and the Pastor Ben will speak next Sunday. So we want to do a big welcome to him and his wife, Kelly, when he gets here. So everybody, be sure to come next Sunday and be involved in that launching of our interim pastor time. The following weekend, the, the weekend of the 19th and 20th, there's a team coming in from this... Um, it's called Next, Next Step, the service that we get our pastor through. And they're bringing a team in to do a church assessment. And so back in the back table there after church, before you head out the door, stop by because Cliff and I are going to be sitting back there telling you about the surveys that we have for you to fill out. There's a written survey that looks like this, several pages, that we'd love for you to sit down and contemplate responses, true, true, your true responses to the questions are very good. And um, then turn that survey back in next Sunday or if you're at the church between now and then. Uh, I think there's a lot of people here oftentimes on Wednesdays if you need to drop them by. Um, and then they could be dropped by the following week, but we just need them all by that Wednesday before that weekend of the 19th and 20th. And there will be a, a box, a tote to put them in out there. Um, it's actually in the back right now for any of you who have started filling them out. 
So everybody 15 years and older is encouraged to fill out the written survey, and there's also a life cycle evaluation there. So there's actually two pieces of paper uh, packets that you can pick up, and as many people as can or will be willing to do that, we would love uh, 100% participation um, because this team that comes in, this assessment team, is going to be holding... um, Uh, interviews on Saturday, uh, the 19th, there will be lay interviews and there will be a little sign-up sheet back there for 25 regular attendees, members or non-members, who come here regularly to, uh, we schedule these interviews and there will be two interviews rooms and you can sign up for what time you would like to come. Couples can come together or um, individuals and um, th- that's going to be going on Saturday morning and afternoon. And we'll tell you a little bit more about it back there if, if you're interested. And then the next thing is on s- that Sunday morning, the 20th, 30 people are needed to take this survey. It's before church. You show up, and it's any regular attendee of the church. That's, if any of you are involved in small groups, men groups, prayer groups, whatever, involved in ministry, Um, This group can include some of those same individuals that did the interviews the day before. But if you have an interest in having a say in what's going on in the assessment and the future of our church, please jump in and get involved. We really, really need your input and want your input. And so right after church, before you slip out the door, we're going to be back there, and we'll have those um, forms available to you, and it can answer any questions you have. So thank you all so much. Thank you, Jane. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jane. They've been working really hard on that. So we really want a good turnout. So I want to encourage you guys to be um, participating in that. It's important, and uh, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can. When God gives us tools, we use them, right? Yay, I got one. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> there we go. Okay, just a couple more announcements before we start worship. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know there's a great event coming up in our community. Uh, we wanted to let you guys know about. It is called, and some of you guys may have been through this. Do you remember Walk Through the Bible? Does any, has anybody ever done that? Oh, it's so awesome. It is such a great thing. We want you guys to be able to have um, the opportunity to do this. It is actually going to be held at the Community Church on March the 12th, which is next weekend from 9 a.m. to noon. And um, anybody from third grade and up can come. There's free child care for anybody second grade and lower. It's $10 a person, and that includes a notebook and snacks. You get snacks. So um, we want you guys to be able to do that. You can go on their website and register there, or you can call them, um, and I can give you that information if you want it. But it is a great way um, to learn the Bible. It is just such a great way. Whether you've been in the Bible your whole life or not, it's a good refresher. So we want to encourage that. Next um, Saturday, March the 12th. So there's that announcement. Then we want to make sure that everyone knows um, about prayer night this week, 6.30 here. It's for an hour. We will be praying, and um, it's just such a blessing to get together um, and do it together. We can always pray, and we should be praying 
when we're apart, but it is super important that we gather together and we pray together. So that's this Wednesday. There's prayer request cards. If you have a prayer request or a praise back on the table, right by the sound booth, as well as if you are new, we want to connect with you. So these connection cards look like this, and they're back on that table as well. Please fill those out, put them in the offering plates, or you can give them to me, and um, I would be happy to take care of them for you. So let's all stand, and let's pray and welcome the Holy Spirit here this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being here. We thank you, Father, for taking care of all the details to get us here this morning. Lord, we praise you, and we know that your Holy Spirit has been waiting for your children to walk in the doors this morning. So I pray, Father, that you will help us to lay down our week, help us to lay down everything that we've been thinking about, all of our to-do list. And Lord, let us just set this time aside to be with you. I pray that we will just sing from the depths of our soul to you because you are worthy of that. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for the fact that you have given us the opportunity to gather together. So, Lord, we praise you, and we want to worship you now, and I pray that it will be pleasing to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being here with us, and all God's people said, amen.
Would you guys turn and greet each other and say hello? All right, good thing you guys are talkers. Had some technical difficulties I had to go take care of real quick, so I think we got it. Ah, let's continue to worship.
You know, I was reading this morning. I wanted to read this real quick to you guys. Super encouraging. With everything going on in the Ukraine, I just found this to be a wow moment when God just gave this to me this morning. So listen to this. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the seas to its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began and it appeared just at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. Amen. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever, and his, his intentions cannot be shaken. So I want to take just a moment this morning to pray for the Ukraine. We are not going to forget to pray for them as a church. And it is important for us to lift up our churches there as well as the people. But that just shows you how big our God is. He is huge. So this is nothing for him. But I want to be faithful in what he's called us to do. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up the Ukraine to you right now. Father, we know that there are things happening there that we just can't even grasp because it has never really been any foreign countries on our land. But Lord, I pray that you will give our hearts compassion, that you will, you will awaken us to pray constantly for the Ukraine. Lord, I pray that you will turn armies against themselves. I pray that you will... Um, Stop the leadership of Putin in his tracks. And I pray, Jesus, that you will save the people of the Ukraine and that most of all, they will turn to you, Lord, that they will see that you are real. I pray Christians will rise up, that you will protect them. And I pray that those Christians will be bold, Lord Jesus, in their circumstances and that they will embrace anybody that comes into their place, whether it's a Russian soldier or Ukraine people or Ukraine soldiers, whoever it is. Lord, I pray that you will keep their borders safe, and I pray that you will be with the refugees that are getting out, Lord Jesus. Give them places to go and people that are there to receive them. And Lord, I just pray that you will come down and intervene in this. In your perfect timing, I know you have a plan. I know this is not a surprise to you that you have been knowing this was all coming. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to be fervent prayer warriors for them. And I pray, Jesus, that we will not stop praying, that we will not become numb to the situation, that it won't just wash away after a couple of weeks on social media, that it won't disappear. But, Lord, you will keep your people oh, faithful to praying, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you will line up our hearts with your will. What it is that you want us to pray for those people, Jesus, put it on our hearts and put it in our minds and help us to be strong prayer warriors that lay it at your feet and continue to petition on their behalf, Jesus. Help us to stand in the gap for them. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's continue to worship. Shame is a prison. It's cruel. Shame is a robber and he's come to 
never take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power where my freedom song is found. There ain't no
We're going to receive the offering now, so if I can have the ushers come forward, we'll continue our worship with our offering and one more song. Oh, God's good. All the time, right? All the time. Let me pray over our offering. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving to us unconditionally. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and providing for us. And I pray, Jesus, that you will bless this offering. Thank you for this time with you as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you for choosing us, Jesus. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. You are worthy to be praised. We thank you for being here this morning, Lord. We thank you for moving. You're already moving, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for speaking through Pastor Tim this morning, Father. I pray that our hearts will let it go deep, deep down, Lord Jesus, and then we'll respond to you because you want response. So I pray we will respond to you, Father, and help us to take that next step. Help us to believe you for it, to trust you, to be brave and courageous, and to do it. Lord, we love you. This service is for you, not for us. So we pray you're pleased with it, Jesus. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. And all God's people said, amen. You guys doing okay? Yeah, you guys doing okay? You doing okay? I'm doing okay. You guys doing okay? I look snazzy, don't you? I look snazzy. I dig deep to find a tie. But you're worth it. So I thought I would do it today. Um, hey, I've got a microphone that wants to mess up. We're going to get a new one before the new guy gets here next week. We really are. Um, this is uh, my last day as your interim pastor. A new interim pastor comes in next week. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited for him, I'm excited for you, and I'm excited for me. I've done this. I've preached somewhere almost every Sunday for 51 years. And I I sense in my spirit that this may be my last interim. I'm still healthy, as far as I know, still got half a brain. But I just kind of thinking maybe it's time to let some other people do this. I still want to preach occasionally on a Sunday when a pastor needs to go on vacation and he needs someone to fill in. But I think maybe this might be kind of the end. <laughs> My wife always... I pastored four churches over 38 years. And since I left that last church, I have now served as interim pastor in 16 churches. And every time I have said, I think this may be the last one, my wife says, yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. But I got to tell you, it's been a pleasure to be here with you and have opportunity to share with you across these months because I got to be your interim pastor twice. Uh, before Pastor Matt came and after Pastor Matt left. I got to be your interim pastor during COVID when no one was in here. And I just stood here on an empty stage and spoke to an empty room and hope, thought maybe someone was out there watching. Uh, but uh, it has been a delight to have the opportunity to share with you across these months. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Most, I probably better figure out how to turn on this one over here, brother. 
Brother Jeff, Talon, You know, anytime you watch a preacher on TV, they're doing a handheld mic. It's like it's a big deal. I think it just gets in the way. Because if I hold the mic, I can't hold my Bible. And that just gets, that just gets on my nerves, you know. But I can do this just like the big boys do it, you know, I can do that. Most times when we read uh, through the parables, we are reminded that there are two that stand as absolute pinnacles of the things that Jesus taught. The most popular parables that he ever shared, the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. And when we read those, and especially when we read the Prodigal Son, We always concentrate on the flight and the return of the younger brother, the prodigal son. But that misses the real message of this story because it is a story about two brothers. And each of those brothers represent a different way, a different way to be alienated from God and a different way to seek acceptance into the kingdom of heaven. And so we begin in Luke chapter 15, and it is important that we hear verses 1 through 3 before we get into the parable. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners. And eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. There was a man who had two sons. And one of the misconceptions that we have about this parable that I know I don't have to read for you because you have heard it and read it so many times yourself. One of the misconceptions we have about this parable is the audience to whom Jesus was speaking. In the first two verses of that chapter, Luke tells us that there are two groups of people who had come out to listen to Jesus. First, there were the tax collectors and the sinners. And these folks represent the younger brother, if you will. They didn't pay any attention to moral laws or the Torah or the rules. They had, in effect, already left home by leaving the traditional morality of their families and respectable society. But the second group of listeners was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were represented by the elder brother. 
And they held to the traditional laws of morality. And they studied and obeyed the scriptures. And they worshipped faithfully. And they prayed constantly. They even walked around with a little band around their head that had a little wooden box on the front of it called a phylactery that had little pieces of scripture in it so that they would never be very far away from the word of God. Now what's happening here in this story is that Jesus is attractive to the younger brothers in the crowd. They continued to flock to him. There was something about him that drew them. But the morally righteous, the the religious people, were angered by the things he said. This man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. So to sit down with someone in the ancient Near East was a token of your respect or your acceptance of them. And so the Pharisees and the scribes were thinking, how dare he reach out to people like that? These people never come to our service. Why would he be drawn to them? Why would they be drawn to his teachings? He he couldn't be declaring truth to them. He must just be saying something that, that, that appeals to their itching ears. He must be telling them what they want to hear. And so when we ask the question, to whom is Jesus teaching in this, who, is his, who are his teachings directed to, we have a tendency to say, well, both. And there is a sense in which that's true. But in reality, it is the second group. It is the scribes and Pharisees upon whom he is bearing down. And it is an awesome story of God's grace as seen in the Father. But the original listeners were not melted into tears by this sentimental, heart-touching, warm story. Rather, they were thunderstruck. They were offended. They were infuriated by what they heard him saying because they realized there was a sense in which he was pointing directly at them. Because through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone has ever thought about God and sin and salvation. You see, his story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother and his moralistic approach to life. And here's the point that we always seem to miss in this parable. It's simply this, in general, hear me, I'm saying in general. In general, religiously observant people were offended by Jesus. But those who didn't think too much about religion and moral observance were intrigued by him and attracted to him. Read through the New Testament again. And notice that in almost every case where Jesus meets with a religious person on one hand and an outcast on the other, the outcast is the one that connects with Jesus. And the elder brother kind does not. Jesus says to the respectable leaders in Matthew 21.31, the tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of heaven before you. And who did he mean by you? You religious people. Listen. 
the type of outsiders that Jesus attracted are not attracted to our contemporary churches. It doesn't matter how edgy they are, how much the lights flicker and blink, how dense the fog machines can fill up the room. It doesn't matter if the pastor wears a pair of jeans with the knees out of them. It doesn't matter. They are not attracted to that. Those churches, like most churches, still draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. But the licentious and the liberated or the broken and the marginal avoid church. It doesn't matter how contemporary you are. There was a man who had two sons. And we're familiar with the story. The younger son asks for his inheritance, and he wants it now. And that was a sign of deep disrespect. To ask this while the father was still alive was in essence the same as wishing that his father were already dead. The younger son was saying essentially that he wanted his father's things, but not his father. And a traditional Middle Eastern father would have been expected to respond by casting the son out with physical abuse and probably telling him never to return. So this young boy takes the money that he gets from his father and he makes his escape. And he blows his inheritance. And he finds himself starving. And he comes up with a plan. Some of you may have heard, I used to have it memorized. I think it was called The Prodigal Son in F-flat. And it went like feeling footloose and frisky. A feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over a few farthings and flared far to foreign fields where he frittered his fortune, feasting fabulously with faithless friends. Finding himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard, he fain would have filled his frame with fodder fragments. Coming to himself, he said, Fooey, my father's flunkies fare far finer. I wish I could remember the rest of it. That's the story. He comes up with a plan. My father's flunkies fare far finer. The Bible says he comes to his senses and he decides that he's going to return to his father and he will admit his mistake, that he has forfeited his right to be called the son. And then he will ask his father this magnanimous gesture, just make me as one of your hired men. And the father sees him coming way up the road And every preacher I have ever heard has always made the point that the father begins to run toward him. Children might run. Women might run. But not the dignified pillar of the community. Not the owner of the grand estate. He would not lower himself to run. But he does. And greets his son. And the son tries to give this wonderfully prepared, well-rehearsed speech. But the father interrupts him, ignoring what he's trying to say. 
And he turns to those around him and he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. You know who the best robe belonged to? To the Father. He was asking for his own robe. It was this unmistakable sign of a boy being restored to his place in the family. The father is saying, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to let you grovel here before me. You're not going to earn your way back into this family. I'm going to simply take you back. And I'm going to cover your nakedness and your poverty and your rags with the robes of my office and my honor. The son knew that his father had food to spare, but now he discovered that his father also had grace to spare. And Jesus shows his father in this parable almost pouncing on his son with love. Not before he has a chance to clean up his, la- la- clean up his life, He just tells him, let it go. He doesn't even get a chance to recite this little repentance speech. And then we change scenes. And we move from that wonderful homecoming out there on that dusty road. And we move to the elder brother who hears what's going on. There's some kind of disturbance up by the house. And it becomes his turn now to disgrace his father. Dad's throwing perhaps the biggest feast, the greatest public event that he would ever throw in his life. And the elder son stands outside the door, who in that instance is publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father's actions. And he's upset. He's bitter with the cost of this event. And he says to his father, in essence, listen, don't you understand where we are financially here? You gave half the estate away to this ragamuffin boy that's in there having a party. Our cash flow is down nearly to nothing. He took off and spent it all. I'm doing my best to keep the books up to date and to make sure that we're able to pay our bills. And here you not only gave him half of the estate, but you also now throw this incredibly lavish party for him. And here was the clincher when the older son said, you never even gave me a goat for a party. How dare you give him a calf? And his anger causes him to insult the father even more. Because if you look in the scripture, he doesn't address the father with respect. He would have normally said, esteemed father. But now he simply says, look. In essence, he is pointing to his father and saying, look you. And now how will the father 
respond to this older son's rebellion, which has been much more in some ways in your face than that of the younger son. And this father again responds with this amazing tenderness, with with grace that only God can give. And he says, my son, despite how you have insulted me publicly here with our friends around, I still want you in the feast. I'm not going to disown your brother. But I don't want to disown you either. So son, I'm challenging you here to swallow your pride and come into the feast. The choice is yours. Will you? Or will you not? Remember again, the real audience for this story is the Pharisees. The older brothers... And Jesus, Jesus is pleading with them, in essence, pleading with his enemies to respond to this message. Jesus is redefining everything that we thought we knew about connecting to God. He is redefining sin, what it means to be lost, what it means to be saved. And he uses the younger brother and the older brothers to portray the two basic ways people try to find happiness and fulfillment. The one is the way of moral conformity and the other is the way of self-discovery. And each acts as a paradigm shaping your understanding of everything. The elder brother represents the way of moral conformity. The Pharisees of Jesus' day thought that they were the chosen people, but that the only way they could retain that position was by being absolutely perfect. And in this view, even in our failures, we still have to somehow measure up. But the younger brother illustrates the way of self-discovery. I'll just find out on my own. And his view says that people must be free to pursue their own goals regardless of what the customs might be or what convention might say we should do. One says, I'm not going to do what I want, but what tradition and community dictates that I should do. And the other says, I'm the only one who can decide what is right for me and what is wrong for me. And I'm going to live as I want to live. And I'm going to find my true self and happiness. And I'm going to do it that way. And the message of this parable is that both sons, both approaches are wrong. But it illustrates the radical alternatives. Now think of the story again. A lover of prostitutes is saved. The lover of prostitutes enters the feast. But the man of moral conviction is still lost. And we can almost hear the Pharisees in that audience gasp as that story ends because they are the older brother. But Jesus is saying that the older brother is not losing the Father's love in spite of His goodness, but because of it. 
It is not that his it is not his sins that create the barrier between he and his father. It's the pride that he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing. It is his righteousness that is keeping him from sharing the feast with his father. It is him basically saying, I'm above that. I'm too good for that. I would never stoop that low. I would never do anything like that. Now, it's taken me a while this morning to get to the heart of the message. So, this is what's been speaking to me in recent weeks. Don't think me a heretic. Though I probably am one sometimes, but don't think that of me. Both sons resented their father's authority and tried to find ways to get out from under it. And they each wanted to get into a position where they could tell the father what to do. Each one of them rebelled. But one of them did it by being very bad. And the other did it by being extremely good. And both were alienated from the father's heart. And both are lost sons. Because neither of them loved the father for just being the father. They were trying to use the father. And I'm suggesting to you that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking the rules or by keeping all of them diligent. Don't stop listening now. Most people think of sin as failing to keep God's rules of conduct. But the definition of sin that Jesus gives goes way beyond that. Because you see, you can't avoid, you can avoid, you can avoid Jesus as Savior. You can avoid Him, let me say it again, you can avoid Him as Savior by keeping all the moral laws, all the rules. Because if you do that, then you begin to believe that you have rights. God owes you an answered prayer. God owes you a good life. God owes you a ticket to heaven on the Polar Express. You don't need a Savior who pardons you with free grace because you became your own Savior by doing it all so perfectly. And so we begin to count on and lean on our own righteousness rather than the grace that only God can give. It is the attitude of the elder brother. He's angry with his father because he feels that his goodness, his obedience, gives him the right to tell his father how the robes and the rings and the livestock of the family should be distributed because I've been good. I had that conversation with God on Wednesday. I left our little house and went across the road to Chapita Park Road and up on the little hiking trail 
that runs along the hill. And as I walked, I talked to God. But it wasn't in my church language. It wasn't in my Pastor Stearman offers a prayer language. It was in my elder brother language. It was in the language of Father, I've done this a long time. You owe me. Father, for three years I've been praying for my wife and her condition and her situation and what we face. God, how many prayers does it take? How many people need to call out her name in prayer for you to answer? What does it take for you to move your hand and make a difference? Because, Father, if it takes more than one person praying, I can get more people. Lord, I got 3,200 friends on Facebook. I can get 3,200 people praying for this situation. Is that what it takes or is my prayer enough? And I found myself in exactly the same position as that elder brother. Look, God, what I've done. I've done my best to be a good boy. You see, what happens is when we begin to lean on our own righteousness, then we begin to think or we begin to seek to control God through your obedience. And then all your morality is just a way to use God to make Him give you the things in life that you want or I want. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. But Jesus shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral behavior can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most moral person. Why? Because sin is not just breaking rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior and Lord and Judge, just as each son in that parable tried to do, to displace the authority of the Father in his own life. There are two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. One is to be breaking all the moral laws and setting your own course. And one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. Years ago, when a newspaper posed the question, what is wrong with the world? An old Catholic thinker by the name of G.K. Chesterton responded to that article by writing them a letter. It simply said, Dear Sirs, I am. What is wrong with the world? Dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. Sometimes God has to remind me or restore within me a fresh understanding of grace. 
And I need to be aware of the fact that there is a grace that only God can give, and I can't earn it. And it doesn't matter how long I've done what I've done. It is still free grace. As long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through your goodness, you'll never be sure you've been good enough for Him. On more than one occasion, I have started a prayer by saying, My Heavenly Father, I have no right to ask you this based on my life. For I have failed you so many times. And it is in those moments when I realize that the only thing that I have is the ability to receive his grace. In Isaiah chapter 25, there is a prediction of the new heaven and the new earth. And he declares that like all of the homecomings. That one, that final one, will be marked by this ultimate party feast. A party feast. And Jesus, too, constantly depicts the salvation that he brings as a feast. He says many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And right before he left this earth, he left a meal behind. We call it the Last Supper. It is a sign of his saving grace. And then, of course, this parable ends with this party, with this feast that represents this great festival of God at the end of all history. Why does he speak this way about a feast? Because there's no better way to convey what it means to live out a life based on his saving grace. Because you see, our appetites and our senses of sight and smell and taste are all filled up. Jesus' salvation is a feast. A meal is a very physical experience, and Jesus left a meal to be remembered by. The Lord's Supper. And the final goal of history is a meal. We read about it in Revelation 19. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. See, the, the problem with most of us, me included, is that we get all tangled up in religion. And religion operates on the principle of, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the basic operating principle of the gospel is, I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, said that religion was the default mode of the human heart. That even if we are converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, our heart will have a tendency to go back to operating on other principles. Religion. 
And he said, you have to deliberately, repeatedly set your heart to the gospel mode. When I read that, I thought, how convenient that is for us in our day. Because we are all so familiar with hitting the reset button. And sometimes, when I'm on a walk like that one I was this last week... And I'm telling God what for. I have to hit the reset button. Because we habitually, we instinctively look to other things besides God and His grace for our justification and our hope and our significance and our security. Now, um, I know this crowd pretty well. I met some new people today for the first time, and it was great to meet them. But most of you, I know fairly well. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, some of you are more religious right now. I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor's just saying we can live any way we want to at all. Doesn't matter. Not saying that at all. Some of you would be familiar with the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a great theologian. One of his works called The Cost of Discipleship. Wrote it back in the 1930s. And in it he warned, warned about the danger of what he called cheap grace. By that, he was talking about the teaching that stresses only that grace is free. Grace is free. So it doesn't matter how you live because grace is free. The solution, he said, was not to return to legalism, but to focus on how seriously God takes sin and on how he could only save us from it at the infinite cost of of himself. So if we say I believe in Jesus but it doesn't affect the way I live, the answer is not that we need to add hard work to our faith so much as that we haven't truly understood or believed in Jesus at all. Now that I've got you all totally confused, be in prayer that Pastor Ben can untangle all of this that I've shared with you this morning. But let me conclude by telling you what the word prodigal means. Its definition is spectacular. And if I remember correctly, I first saw it back in the 80s when I was reading a book by Lloyd Ogilvie. Definition of prodigal. Recklessly extravagant. Having spent everything. The definition of prodigal, recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. So now you look back at that familiar old story 
and you realize that it wasn't the young son that was prodigal. It was the father. Recklessly extravagant. Having spent everything. There was a day when the Father ran to me and put his robe on me. And it is our Father God who has been recklessly extravagant in supplying the good news of grace. And we have been willing across denominational lines to settle for rules and legalism. Oh. Do you ever feel the robe on your shoulders that he places there? We've counted our own goodness and our own own righteousness when he says, All my robes are yours. All my rings are yours. All the fattened calves are yours. For when I gave my son Jesus, I purchased you at a price. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence this day. And Father, at least for myself, I confess to you that I have been the elder brother. Father, sometimes I work so hard to manipulate you and gain from you the things that I think I need to make my life, my family, perfect. Father, I've been the older brother. There have been times when I have embarrassed you, times when I have called you out times when I haven't been willing to accept your decision regarding someone else Father would you help us as we strive to move move away from just being religious people who count on our own morality to somehow impress you. Would you remind us again today, as I pray you already have, that it is simply by your grace and not by our works. Father, I ask your blessing upon this congregation. I thank you for who they are. And Father, it may just be in my own imagination But it feels like in these last six or seven months that we have made some strides. For back in July when 
Pastor Matt left, there was a sense of disappointment and failure that washed over this congregation. There was anger. There was frustration. But Father, today I believe in my heart that you have brought some restoration to us. And it is not because of what we have done or how we've lived by the rules. It is because your grace is sufficient for us. And so as Pastor Ben and Kelly come in this next week, I pray your anointing upon them in unusual ways that whatever you have been doing here in these last months will not change or will not subside, but, Father, that it will continue to grow and that we will have an impact not only on this congregation but on this community. Father, bless your people today as we strive to move away from being the elder brother. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing. When
Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the sweetness of your spirit. Thank you that you're in control. And there's nothing to fear. You are a good God. And you have a plan for this church. And you have a plan for every individual in this church. And Lord, you're lining us all up for that day that we will see you face to face. I pray that we will continue to chase you. And Lord, you just take over and be with us this week. I pray we will walk in joy. I pray we will be excited about what you're doing in our lives and what you have on the road ahead of us and what you're doing in this church and in the world, Lord, because it all lines up with your word. Nothing can ever go outside of what you say. So, Lord, we trust you with that. And I pray that every single person will have a smile on their face this week, even in the hard circumstances. Because there is joy in you. So, Lord, we love you. And we thank you also, Jesus, for Pastor Tim these last months. He has been a blessing to this congregation and a healing balm. And we are grateful for that. And we thank you for Jane and how she just loves him so well. Lord Jesus, bless them as they continue in ministry together. Jesus, just bless them, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cindy's got something. Some of you may know or may not know that a group of women in the church are making prayer quilts. And today, we want to present to Tim and Jane, please come, a prayer quilt to say, thank you for all the months that you've been serving us. Okay, it's okay. Just And thank you for what you've done for us. And we're going to continue to pray because we've been praying. So, if. We can unfold this, and I want to show it to you. Um, it has some. It has special meaning. Um, got it? Okay, we got to get this done. Okay. The the four corners uh, represent the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the eight corners; these are the eight Beatitudes. Um, it has two distinct colors. You see the crosses. Uh, can't do that. The cross is 12, and the background, uh, you'll, you'll have to look at this. It's beautiful material. It's white with silver metallic crosses. Um, that uh, is our relationship with Christ, the two, 
the two different distinct colors. The cross is 12 squares, which are the disciples. Uh, let's see, what have I left out, gals? Oh, the ten, uh, ten, um, the ten rows. There's ten rows. That's the ten commandments. There's seven uh, uh, um, columns across. Are the seven churches that we learn from? So anyway, we want to present this to you as a, just a memento, saying thank you so much, and we'll continue to pray for you. Well, we can leave it out and display it, Cindy, too, if you want to. Okay, so are you guys ready for the directions for the potluck? So we are going to set up, we're going to pull the round tables out and set them up over here. So we'll just make a group effort. Everybody can put their food on the tables, and you can come and love on Pastor Tim and Jane and enjoy each other's fellowship. And please don't forget the table back here uh, with Jane and Cliff. You guys can check that out, too. But... We're just going to have a time of fellowship and hope y'all can stay. And uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. Pass me not, oh gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Why? me by.